You're listening to Byzantine Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture in collaboration with the Melkite Eparchy of Newton. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and director of the Institute and host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Welcome back to all of our participants here for our Sunday Gospel Reflection for the 12th Sunday after Holy Cross in the Byzantine tradition. Welcome, Deacon Daniel Dozier. Good to have you back with us. Good to be back. And we're going to look at the Gospel here for Luke chapter 17 verse 12 through 19. Luke 17, verse 12 through 19. Get out your Bibles, and for all of our participants that regularly use a cell phone, that's illegal. Throw it out. We're going to use the old-timey Bible around here. It's going to help you because you're going to be able to highlight, you know, mark it up, but don't tell me you can highlight on your cell phone. It's all nonsense. All right, here we go. So let's take a look here. Luke chapter 17, verses 12 through 19 story of the uh, healing of the 10 lepers. At that time, as Jesus was entering a certain village, there met him 10 lepers who stood afar off and lifted up their voice crying, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And it came to pass as they were on their way that they were made clean. But one of them, seeing that he was made clean, returned with a loud voice, glorifying God, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks. And he was a Samaritan. But Jesus answered and said, Were not the ten made clean? But where are the nine? Has not one been found to return has, has no one been found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, for your faith has saved you. You know, there's there's a lot to unpack here, Deacon, and you know, we can approach this as I think sadly so many people do this Sunday. I hear it. It's just another another kind of magic show with Jesus. He's healing another a bunch of people. and everything. But there's a lot here in the text and a lot the fathers get into, and I know you're going to get into. Let's start, let's start right now with the, the setting. At that time, it says in the first sentence, as Jesus was entering a certain village, there met him 10 lepers who stood afar off and lifted up their voices and so on. I'm going to pull up a map here for you and just ask you to, to comment on it, kind of right. get Make sure we're, we know where we're standing, okay? No, no, that's great. As you allude to, we want to think about the setting for this because, you know, when we read the Bible, geography is not just geography. There is an intent to this theologically that we want to unpack as well. And we get that really from the first verse. Uh, so the first verse, at least in this particular section, which is actually verse 11, it reads, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Mm-hmm. So you can see on the map, uh, we see uh, Samaria uh, to the south in that green section, and then Galilee just north above that. And then you have that, uh, that path uh, of water from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea, that Jordan River. Uh, and so Jesus is walking along this path uh, between Galilee and Samaria. And so Samaria, as we know, was part of that, uh, that northern kingdom where you had those that were uh, left behind by after the Assyrian attacks, they remained and became what we know know as Samaritans. 
Uh, so these were individuals who observed the Torah of Moses, but didn't really pay attention to the prophets. And the reason they didn't pay attention to the prophets is because the prophets had a lot to say about King David and the Davidic throne, and they didn't want anything to do with the Davidic throne because that uh, pertained to the kingdom of Judah, which was the southern kingdom, and they were in civil war uh, between the northern and the southern kingdoms. And so Jesus is on his journey from the northern part in Galilee all the way down through the south. He's going to be heading to Jerusalem, and this is the place where he's going to offer his life uh, in sacrifice on the cross and then be raised from the dead. So he's going to accomplish the Paschal mystery. So that helps provide a little bit of the setting for us. And Jesus is, of course, not journeying alone. He's got his disciples. He's got his apostles with him. Also has uh, likely a multitude going down with him to Jerusalem as he makes his way uh, to his final victory and really enthronement on the, on the cross. And so that's, that's kind of the setting that we have in mind. Jesus is on his journey. So he, so so he's he's walking to this area. It says he's, it says he encounters these guys, and right. and then they're standing, they're they're standing afar off, okay. And then they're they're going to cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so I'd like you to kind of unpack that a little bit, yeah. for kind of understand who these guys were, why they're at a distance. Um, uh, I mean, that's kind of you know we all kind of know what the deal is with with leprosy, but probably who could use a little bit of a review on that. Who, what do you guys look like and what's going on? And then why are they crying out, Jesus, have, you know, master, have mercy on us? Yeah, well, these, these 10 men, so Jesus encounters these 10 men. And, and as you mentioned, Luke makes a specific, rep, specific reference to the fact that they were standing far away. And, of course, we know the, the terrible history of leprosy. Uh, in the ancient world, it was regarded as just a, a terrible curse. And, uh, and so we have the, these 10 men. Uh, nine of whom are Jews, and one of whom is a Samaritan, as we learn a little bit later. And they have this terrible disease. It's an infectious disease of the skin. It causes disfigurement, breaking open of sores on the body. Uh, Basically, all the limbs uh, start to decay. It really becomes a form of living death. And so these particular individuals who are suffering from this, uh, this disease is very contagious. It's, It's actually an airborne disease. So if you can get it from being around people who are coughing or sneezing that are leprous. And so as a result, there was this quarantine where they needed to stay away from the public so that no one else would be, would be infected by this terrible disease. Now, this is something that's also mentioned in the law. So if we take out our Bibles, actually, and look at the book of Leviticus. So we have in the Old Testament, towards the front of your Bibles, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, being the third book of the Pentateuch, the Law of Moses, uh, and turn to chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 45 to 46, and we're going to see how the law dealt with those who had the disease of leprosy that were part of of Israel. So we look at verse 45. Uh, It says, The leper who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone in a habitation outside the camp. Well, that seems kind of harsh. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 they were definitely uh, you know, ostracized from the camp. But of course, part of the reason for this 
uh, was you know, the, the association with leprosy was not necessarily an association with sin, uh, with personal sin, but rather the understanding that this was really a form of death, a living death. And so any individual who, who suffered from leprosy could uh, actually infect anyone else in the camp. So they had to stay outside the camp. Now, what do we mean by outside the camp? Well, the way to understand it is that when it came to the encampment of Israel, so you can imagine all these hundreds of thousands of people moving through the wilderness, you know, out of Egypt and bondage and slavery. Now they're moving towards the Holy Land. They've got the tabernacle in the middle with the Shekinah glory cloud, you know, above the tabernacle, God's presence in the midst of his people. And there are what they call zones of purity relative to that tabernacle. So uh, what these are, basically, if you think about it, like concentric circles. And the inner circle is the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, where you have the Ark of the Covenant and God's glorious presence overshadowing the Ark of the Covenant. This was the place that the high priest could only enter into once a year. That was the first zone. That was the inner zone. Then outside of that, uh, you have the holy place. And this was the place where the priests would do their work was the place of the lampstand, which we also know as the menorah. You had the altar of incense uh, burning before the curtain that would uh, open into the Holy of Holies, then also the bread of presence. And this was a place that was associated, closely associated with the Holy of Holies, uh, but it was not at the very center, but it was right outside the center of that zone of purity. And you had to maintain high levels of purity, ritual purity and personal purity, uh, moral purity, to serve in the holy place. Then outside of that, you had uh, the next extended circle, which was the outer courtyard. This was the place in the tabernacle where you had the bronze laver, you had the the bronze altar. This is where the sacrifices were made and purifications were made. And then outside of that, you had the four triads of the tents of Israel sort of spread out uh, around Israel. And then outside of that, you had what was called outside the camp. This was uh, the place that we just heard referenced in the book of Leviticus. Uh, This was the place where those who were uh, suffering from impurity, some type of ritual impurity, would have to encamp. And of course, it was a dangerous place because, you know, there's safety in numbers. And if you were inside the camp, obviously you you had greater protection. You also had, you know, you were able to socialize and be a part of the religious social life of Israel. But to be outside the camp was to be basically uh, away from the social life, the religious life of Israel. But more importantly, it was to be geographically distant from the very presence of God in the tabernacle. Uh, Now, the reason for this, the reason why we had these zones of purity, uh, especially for, for those who had leprosy, uh, was that because l- leprosy as a form of disease was like that living death. And n- nothing that was impure or truly uh, reflective of death, which was a consequence of the ancestral fall, could live with God, could be in God's presence. This is why Adam and Eve, uh, after the fall, uh, were sent off into exile away from God's holy presence. What made Eden a paradise, it was the very presence, the reigning presence of God. And so to be in exile was to be away from that, that reigning presence. And so symbolically, their bodies were reflective of death uh, as a consequence of the fall. And so they had to uh, distance themselves, not just from Israel for the, for the protection of the Israelites, but also uh, because of ritual impurity from the tabernacle and the, and the dwelling presence of God uh, in the midst of his people. You know, 
I was just a little thought there. I mean, you're talking, he's, he's walking from Galilee to kind of through the Samar- Samaritan area and it right. encounters these guys and they got two problems going on. They're ritually Im- impure. They're physically impure. They're, I mean, they are the outcasts, the outcasts as far as the area. But some of these guys, it, it appears as though there, there's nine of them are actually Jews living up in that area. Right. And there's only one of them as far as, but anyways, there's, there is this mix going on of variations of, of impurity, if you will. Well, yeah, and, and in a sense, the, the Samaritan who was of their number was a double outcast because, yeah. you know, he was in the midst of the 10 with, with the Jews. On the one hand, it was interesting because, you know, you have, you know, this ecumenism of suffering that, that occurs where uh, these nine Jews who are suffering from leprosy welcome into their company a Samaritan who was an outcast uh, by the Jews. They were, not reg- they were regarded as religious heretics. And yet they were able to, in a sense, overcome that division in their suffering. Suffering sort of brought about uh, a unity among them, and they walked together, both as Jews and Samaritans, and, and that's how they, they kept company. So we saw the same thing uh, historically, even in uh, the gulags or in the, um, uh, in the concentration camps of the Nazis, where religious divisions were overcome, essentially, because of their communion and suffering. And so somehow providentially, these these not these ten men were brought together even despite their religious and social differences because of the I mean, you know obviously Jesus is going to come and miss a big part of his ministry is this an expansion of of the salvific work not no longer is it going to be contained to one particular group of people but right. to the whole world exactly and th- and this is what the story really at, at its heart is all about so these ten men are standing afar off. You have, in essence, you've got uh, Jesus, the, the new living tabernacle, the, the very presence of God in the midst of his people. You've got his apostles and disciples, the multitudes, and you almost have the same pattern of, the, of these 10 who are standing afar off, and they're going to cry out to Jesus uh, for mercy, and he's going to respond with mercy for these 10 and restore them to full communion in a, in a new Israel, essentially, is what he's, what he's trying to bring about through his through his ministry, and it's going to bring bring about not just healing of uh, of the body, but healing of the divisions in humanity as a result. You know, and then the, this uh, maybe you comment a little bit about what they say here. I mean, it's yeah. easy, again, it's easy to skip over these details, but these details are there for a reason. They're important to us. They cry out, "Jesus, Master of Mercy." I was one thing I was thinking as I was reading this was these guys know who he is because he's been up there in the area of Galilee. And he's been healing and healing for three years. I mean, you talk about, it's like every story, it's like one healing after another. And they're, they've been hearing about this guy. And finally, he, they don't have to go to him. He comes to them. And yeah. then and they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Yes, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, which is a great prayer. Uh, it is a great prayer. Anyway, <laughs> very much like the Jesus prayer. The Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This, this idea that uh, crying out to Jesus, first of all, it's interesting because you're right. They know who he is. They, they see him and, and by reputation and the multitudes that are coming with the disciples, Jesus is, is entering into this village and they say, Jesus, they say his name, which means uh, God is salvation. And they say, master. Uh, now this, it, this word master is interesting because it, it means, you know, chief, commander, teacher, uh, someone who is appointed over others. And they're crying out to him because they recognize that, that the Lord is in their midst. 
And so they've reached a point in their life where they're at absolute desolation. All the consolations of life, all the pleasures, you know, the worldly, uh, you know, uh, wealth, pleasure, power, prestige, whatever they had before, they've been emptied of it because of this disease. And you see this sometimes for people who are very, very sick, everything that was important to them before they've entirely lost. And at this point, they're ready to give themselves over to the Lordship of, of Jesus uh, as master and c- cry out to him for mercy. And they're crying out in, in a way, it's, it's kind of a form of lament. I've been doing a lot of research and, and, and speaking recently on this idea of lamentation, which is a very much a theme in the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, 40% of the Psalms are, are Psalms of lament. And lament is, is interesting to distinguish it from repentance. Repentance is crying out to God for his mercy for wrongs that we have done. Lament is a cry out to God for his mercy for the wrongs that have been done to us. And so these 10 lepers are crying out to God. They, they've come to the extent of they have no more hope other than in Jesus as their master. And they cry out to him for the healing oil of Hesed, his, his loving kindness, the merciful loving kindness of God. And this is where they're, 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 they've come to. And so they they say to him, you know, have mercy on us. And so Jesus responds with a command. So if he's going to be the master and commander, he's going to give a command. And the command is to go show yourselves to the priest. So he basically tells them to turn around and, or, and head towards Jerusalem. Jesus is, is, is giving them a command that he expects the obedience of faith, and they all obey. They all follow what Jesus has commanded. They're going to turn around and they're going to go head back to Jerusalem. Now, what Jesus commands to go and show yourself to the priest is actually in keeping with what, what the law teaches. So if, if we were to look back at uh, Leviticus chapter 14, so right after 13, we go to Leviticus 14, if we were to look there, we would see that there was this very elaborate uh, ritual uh, that would reestablish a person who had leprosy back into the communion of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, it involved uh, seven days of outside the encampment of, of ritual washing and sacrifice and, and so forth. And then on the eighth day, you also had further sacrifice before the, before the tent of meeting. And the person was restored because of their healing after being inspected, of course, by the priest to make sure this was a legitimate healing. Uh, they were restored to, to Israel. So it was, it was basically an eight-day process to be restored from outside the encampment back into the communion of the encampment as a leper. But Jesus commands this, but when they set out, immediately what happens is they're healed. Or at least at some point after they set out, they are, they are healed of leprosy. So this miracle occurs because they were obedient to the command of Jesus, uh, their master, and, and he shows them his mercy. It says, and they went and they were cleansed. After their cleansing, though, this is where it gets interesting. So Jesus commands them to fulfill the law, and the nine Jews continue on towards Jerusalem. But one of the, their company, the Samaritan, gives praise to God, gives thanksgiving, turns around, and heads right back to Jesus. Now, he does this because he recognizes that even though Jesus commanded him to go towards the temple, that in fact Jesus was the embodiment of the true temple, the new temple. Uh, And what's interesting about this uh, for the Samaritan, you know, the Samaritans believed that uh, Mount Gerizim was in fact the true heir to 
uh, the Temple of Israel. Uh, when, when you have the Civil War after King Solomon's death, you have this break between North and South, and you have the Samaritans. They set up a, a rival kingdom, a rival king, a rival royal city, and a rival temple, and a rival priesthood uh, from what was in Jerusalem. So for this Samaritan to turn and go to Jerusalem was itself an act of faith that God was working through the Jews, that salvation would come to the Jews. But then once he was healed, he recognized that the true temple was not what was simply in Jerusalem. That was uh, a, a foreshadowing of the true temple that, where God would dwell with his people. It was going to be found in Jesus. And so he turned back around and came to Jesus and fell at his feet. In fact, verse 15, if we go back to Luke chapter 17, mm -hmm. uh, it says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. So the, the Samaritan turns to Jesus, the high priest, the embodiment of this new temple where God's living presence is in the midst of his people, and he gives thanks. Uh, the Greek word Eucharistia. He, he offers thanksgiving to God for being healed. And what Jesus says to him is interesting. His first word is rise, or as you have in your translation, arise. And that should call to mind something more than just, you know, get up off the ground. Because what Jesus has done is to elevate this man in his, his lament, his suffering through his healing, and, and now he's fallen at his feet. He tells him to rise up. There's certainly an implication there about resurrection. This man who embodied death in his very uh, self now was being asked to rise again, which was a foreshadowing of the resurrection that, uh, of our own, that we would all, we'll all go through one day, God willing, and, and, and resurrection into glory. Uh, this man was asked to, was told to rise, and so he did rise. And then Jesus tells him, we continue on, he says, your faith the Greek word pistis, your faith, which means faithfulness, trust, confidence, uh, fidelity, has made you well, has made you whole, has healed you. you know, uh, I just want to jump in there for a second because yeah. really, this is really fascinating to me. There's, 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 there's a lot of beautiful things. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. It's yeah. almost like he sends a vanguard in front because he knows what's coming, right? He knows these priests are going to be the very ones going to turn on him. And so he, he sent his vanguard in there. These guys are going to come in praising Jesus. And it's in the gospel account. He's, he's about ready to come, get, get there. I mean, Palm Sunday is around the corner. Yes. So, so the, he's like, he's like still in the fire, you know? That's, a, that's such an interesting point. Yeah. Well, and, and, but we know, how, we know how the chief priest will react. Uh, yeah. And the, resur the resurrection of Lazarus. Well, right. yeah. and and then another aspect of that thing about the 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 rising is that is the cleansing of the leper in the book of Leviticus that you point out in chapter fourteen. Right. So it's on the eighth day, which yeah. is, which is the eighth day of resurrection. So there's all these implications here now. I'm exactly. sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but there's no, a lot. no, and you even have the sacrifice of the lamb on the eighth day. There's a lot of interesting things going on in, in Leviticus that can connect prophetically to to Christ and what he. Um, what he is accomplishing here with this, uh, with the healing of this particular leper, or all the lepers together. So I like that idea of the yeah. vanguard going out. Hey, hey, you know what? Jesus, who's coming to town, he's actually healed nine Jews who are here to to demonstrate that God's mercy is now in your midst. Yeah. Uh, so yes, that is that's very interesting. You know, 
maybe we can bring this 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 all to to a, a conclusion here and and in, in a kind of consideration this time of this post theophany post nativity kind of well we're not even really post theophany we're not even really post yeah. we're in the midst of it right and yeah. um, in which in which we're looking at this these feast days very much in terms of an application to ourselves as yeah. the vanguard for Christ and that liturgically we've said this so many times over the last few weeks that liturgically the feast of the nativity is seen as in terms of the second coming of Christ right and then we can see ourselves in preparation for that as this vanguard to to announce the good news that Christ has been working in our lives also absolutely and and what Jesus has done what he has accomplished uh, is to bring us uh, from outside the encampment of Israel mm-hmm. and, and brought us into the very presence of God in fact you know, uh, one of the great things about being baptized Christians, the fathers say that the the initiation of Christians was far greater than the Old Testament high priesthood. The glory of what we possess as baptized Christians, being baptized, chrismated, receiving the Holy Eucharist, is greater than what Aaron as high priest had in terms of the glory of his priesthood. And so Jesus has brought us not just into the encampment, he's brought us into the Holy of Holies. Mm. Because in him, we have been brought into the very presence of God, where we partake of that, that hidden manna in his very body and blood and see and experience the, the, the glory of, uh, of God's presence. So yeah. we, we have leprosy. We, this, is the, this is the thing that we have to think about. We have spiritual leprosy. All of us struggle with, you know, we think sometimes there's little sins, but they're, uh, you know, these are, these are parts of our life that begin to eat away at our, at our, our life, these, these sins, these small idolatries that we have. And we need to cast them aside, come to the master, cry out for mercy, be healed, and then be restored uh, to, uh, to the encampment of Israel. You know, Cyril, I was reading a little bit of the fathers on this passage before we came together, and I came across this really, just the way he says it, Cyril of Alexandria says, he says that the, the other nine committed the sin of thankless forget, mm. forgetfulness, thankless forgetfulness. Yes. And I, you know, I oftentimes think that the, the foundation, the root of so many sins in our lives is the sin of forgetfulness. And as to forget that our life is a gift from God and, and that everything around us is a gift from God. And so when I forget that, I begin to think that everything's mine by right. And when I don't have the things I think I should have, then I become angry, frustrated and, and so forth. And, um, and greedy and all, I mean, all these things kind of, kind of flow from that. That's right. But we have this beautiful image of the Samaritan who yeah. realizes the most important thing of all. And he comes back, as you said, to give thanks, to offer Eucharist. And this is what we do every Sunday when we come to church, what we should be doing every day so that we are kind of formed as a Eucharistic people, offering our lives to God to say, thank you, Jesus, for the gift of my life, which you've given me back. I, I lost so terribly. But you've given me back in light of the Feast of Theophany that we're kind of living now in this time. You know, we've, we've received this gift of our baptism, the, the gift of this restoration uh, of, of this relationship with God. And yet, and so many times we've squandered that gift. That's right. Uh, but during the time of Theophany, that gift is kind of renewed in us, restored in us through Holy Confession, through the Eucharist, and uh, to begin again to live this life not of thankless forgetfulness, but of, of Thanksgiving, of Eucharist. So, Amen. yeah, thank, thank you, uh, Deacon, for being with us today. Real blessing, as usual, to, to receive your insights. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Byzantine Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.